So Kelly, for years and years, has been incredibly involved in this church. In fact, she was at the church before I was because her dad started this church. And so she was everything from a Sunday school teacher to a worship band member. And then eventually we got married. We started the youth group, and she was a youth group leader. And then she began to counsel people. She began to have a heart for women. She began an amazing women's ministry here called Deeper. And for years and years, this was what she did, and this was life. And then uh, a while back, last January, January of 2017, she got really, really sick. And... Uh, really has gone through some really difficult things. Our family's gone through some difficult things, and our church has gone through some difficult things because Kelly is such a part of this church. And so tonight, we just want to kind of, I'm going to sort of interview Kelly a little bit about what she's learned and what God is doing and where she's been and where we're headed and, and what God's doing. And it's been so powerful all day. And hopefully we've got all of our tears out this morning. My gosh, every service we were crying. I warned you guys to bring Kleenex. Hope you brought some because it's just so intense. But, um, you know, just we're so excited to have her here. I know some of you guys are in this room and you're suffering. You're going through some real hardship. And some of you guys are, are going to, I think, gain some incredible stuff to really sink your teeth into tonight. And so um, to start out with the most important question, what are your favorite things about me? So let's just, let's just make it about me, all right, if we can here. Is Definitely that right? the yeah. beard. The beard. Oh, okay, because there's not much else to talk about. But um, all right, so for those who don't know, which is probably a good many here in the room tonight because it's been a year and nine months, what happened? Um, so in January 2017, I wasn't feeling well. Um, I was diagnosed with pericarditis, which is inflammation around the lining of the heart, and I was in treatment for that, but it was every day I had uh, new, new symptoms and, and just feeling sicker and sicker, and then um, it was early February. Um, Doug had left for a staff meeting, and I stayed home because I was feeling so sick. And um, while he was gone, I was home alone. I, uh, I went to stand up, and, and I couldn't stand, and I blacked out, and I hit the floor. And um, I kind of pulled myself to the couch, and I, and I stood up again, and again, I couldn't stand up and blacked out and hit the floor. And I just reached up, and I grabbed my cell phone, and, and first I called Doug, and at first he didn't answer. And then I called my mom, and I said, Mom, I don't know what's going on, but I'm blacking out. Um, I said, I love you and dad, and um, uh, I love the kids. Please tell them how much I love them. Tell Doug how much I love him. And, and then um, it was February 4th. I was taken from the doctor's office uh, to get in touch with Doug, and he came running home um, to the hospital. And uh, what we didn't know what was going on was that my autonomic nervous system was failing, and uh, Apparently your autonomic nervous system is really important. It kind of keeps you alive. It controls your heart rate, your blood pressure, your breathing, um, and your digestion. And um, I couldn't stand without passing out. I uh, couldn't keep food down. I was um, gasping for air and uh, struggling to stay conscious. And the first uh, seven days in the hospital, and doctors were just trying every medication and none of them were working. And I was getting worse and worse. And they, uh, they called two codes, two rapid responses um, on me, and one of them was when our, our kids were in the hospital, and that was really hard because they, um, they ushered them out of the room and made them stand in the hallway, and, and they can kind of look in and see that I was surrounded by doctors and nurses working on me, and, and I could see them all huddled together crying, and I, you know, I could see a, a nurse uh, trying to comfort them, and it, and it just absolutely broke my heart because... I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to live. And, um, and then after that, the next day, the cardiologist came in, and he said, um, with tears in his eyes, he said, I've uh, tried everything that I know to do 
and nothing is working, and I'm so sorry that I, I haven't been able to help you. And then he said, I think that you know, the next, next step would be to transfer you to a hospital in the city. Maybe they can help you. And uh, that was probably the lowest point, one of the lowest points for us in the hospital. Uh, a couple of hours later, my condition worsened, and the nurse called uh, the neurologist on his cell phone and told him what was happening with me. And he said, um, he said put her on the phone. I want to speak to her. And, and they handed me the phone in the bed, and he said, I'm on my way back to the hospital. He said, I think you have this rare condition called autonomic Guillain-Barre, and we need to do a spinal tap and, and start treatment right away. So he came back to the hospital, and um, all my family was waiting outside in the hall, you know, not knowing what was going to happen. And uh, after the spinal tap, they let Doug come in, and the neurologist said to him, we're going to move her right now to ICU, and we're going to start this treatment. We're not going to wait. And Doug said to him, why? And uh, sometimes that's not a great question, because uh, he said, because if we don't, it's going to be too late. Um, so they moved me to ICU, and I was in there for the next eight days. Um, they started treatment, and as a result of the treatment, I developed aseptic meningitis and a spinal leak from the spinal tap that I had. So adding to how sick I was, now I had this crushing head pressure um, that I was dealing with. And um, on day 15 in the hospital, they moved me from ICU to the regular cardiac floor. And um, I had a doctor come in, and... That morning, I was on the phone with Doug. He was on his way to the hospital, and he said, we got to get you home. We, we, I just feel so strongly we got to get you out of there. And I, I had a roommate that was screaming her head off, and, and Doug could hear her on the phone screaming. And so, somehow she heard my name. She so was like screaming, Kelly, from the other bed. And I was like, I just got to go home. And I talked to the first doctor. He's like, no. He's like, I don't think you're going to be able to, to go home yet. And, um, and then a, um, another doctor came in a little while later. It was, it was a female doctor. And... And I pleaded with her from a mom to a mom. And I said, please let me go home. I said, I, I need to be with my babies. And um, she said, OK. She said, only because the flu is going around, I'm going to let you go home. And they sent me home to at-home nursing care. Um, but I didn't stay home very long. And uh, over the next two months, it was home for a few days, back into the hospital for several days, home and back. And, um, you know, all with nurses coming in. And at about two months, I was still extremely sick, passing out because my heart rate would shoot up and my blood pressure would drop as low as 60s over 30s. Um, full body tremors and that looked like seizures, um, not being able to keep food down, um, and so many other things. And, and we had had an appointment with a neurologist, and he said, I think I'm going to send you to this autonomic neurologist in the city because people who have Guillain-Barre get better and he said you're not getting better and um, then he said maybe this is permanent and that's not what we wanted to hear that day and I'll never forget the day that we drove into the city to see this new doctor um, it was my dad driving and my brother Anthony in the front and Doug sitting with me in the back and I remember just throwing up on the way there Doug having to pick me up and carry me and, and put me in a wheelchair because I was too weak to stand on my own, and, and we just were desperately praying together, God, God, give us a ray of hope. Give this doctor wisdom to, to see what's going on. And, you know, our, our hope was not in doctors, because at this point, doctors were confused, but we knew that, that God could use this man, that he could speak through him. And um, we get there and didn't even see the doctor right away, just handed him a, a stack of all the blood tests that had been done and all those, you know, the spinal tap and everything else. And, and he was in his office looking at everything, and he, he opened the door, and he, and he came in the room, and he had such compassion 
on his face and he looked at me and the very first thing he said to me, he didn't say, ask me any questions. He didn't start to examine me. He, he looked me straight in the face and he said, you are gonna be okay. He said, it's gonna take a long time, probably one to two years for your nerves to heal, but you're gonna be okay. He had seen in my blood work a autoimmune antibody that was off the charts and somehow everybody else had missed this. Um, and he had changed my diagnosis. He said, it's, no, it's not Guillain-Barre, it's this acute autoimmune attack on your nervous system. And he said, this is what was so amazing, he said, although the diagnosis was wrong, he said, the treatment saved your life. And so we could just see how God's hand was over every single step, and, and we left that day with that ray of hope that we had prayed for and um, started a, a really difficult recovery process. I think for me, too, um one of the turning points was like, things were bad when she was in ICU. And um, I mean, I'm like just sitting there and she's like having all this wacky stuff happen and all these crazy things are happening. And so I called the staff and I called the elders and said, guys, can you just come down to the hospital and can we just pray? Let's just pray for Kelly. And I mean, several of them are here tonight. You could ask them. When I met them out in the lobby, I got tears in my eyes. I mean, I'm explaining to them, like, you know, when you have to prepare someone for what they're about to experience, that's what I had to do. I had to prepare these guys that this wasn't like normal Kelly we were going to go see. And so I prepared them, tears in my eyes, we went in, and um, you could just tell how tense it was and how, how heavy the atmosphere was because of how serious everything was. And, and we prayed for her, for Kelly, and um, she hadn't been out of bed in days. She hadn't been allowed to get up. She wasn't walking around. Um, and so I walked the guys back out to the lobby bunch of them are hugging me, we're like crying, we got tears in her eyes, like just such uncertainty. And then I walk back in and Kelly's out of her bed sitting up in the chair, which hadn't happened in like a week and a half. And that was uh, another turning point for us of God's hand of, of mercy and grace. Um, it was an incredible trial. I mean, I, here, here's a picture of the night before everything happened. This is what Kelly and I look like the night before everything happened. Um, <laughs> And then this is now, as you guys can see, this is sort of what we look like now, so. This is the creepiest photo Yeah, that's pretty horrifying. So, Ed, take that down promptly. Um, I guess the next question would be, though, as, you know, maybe people are hearing this, like, oh, great, is Kelly just perfect now? Everything's healthy? And, like, so how are you now? Um, it, it's been a really uh, long recovery process um, with a lot of ups and downs, and, and I would say that, you know, I had kind of like these weeks where I thought I was getting better and then a week or two weeks later I would kind of fall back again and, and be really sick and uh, all that to say that um, this summer I started to really feel a difference and it wasn't like a one day next day it was consistent and um, even just the last month or so and you know I'm doing things that I haven't done in, in one year and, and nine months and, and more and more feeling normal more normal life um, you know, my parents who are just um, so incredible to us and among the thousand things that they did for us every single Sunday since the day I got home from the hospital, either they came and um, drove the, me and the kids to church or they stayed with me if I was too sick. And two weeks ago today was the very first Sunday I drove myself and I drove the kids to church, um, which was huge. And um, the next day was a Monday and I drove my kids to school for the first time since I had gotten sick, and uh, on the way there, we were all um, praying together and praising God and crying, and I think that, you know, people are pulling up in the car next to us, like, what's wrong with this family? <laughs> like, this why are they really crying? School, yeah. Um, 
You know, I, I'm not 100%, um, probably not even close, and I still have really difficult days, um, but I have come so far um, in the last year, nine months. So as we suffer and as we go through hardship and, you know, you guys might not have sickness in your life. Maybe you do. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a incredible struggle with a relationship or it's all the, you know, stresses of some of the age groups some of you guys are in. And that suffering and that pain, maybe the betrayal of somebody. Maybe, I mean, there's a million different things that could be going on in our lives. And I think one of the things that we try to do is... Is, is say, God, like, are you going to do anything with this? Like, is this random? Is this going to actually do something? Is it going to produce something good? And so my question is, what good have you seen come out of all that you've gone through? Well, he has and is definitely deepening our faith as a couple to trust him, to trust him no matter what, to trust him no matter how dark things are or how much things don't make sense. Um, He's definitely deepening as a family our heart for him. I, I see this in my children. I see this in Doug and, and definitely in myself, just deepening my heart to know him. I want to know him more, um, deepening my heart to worship him. You know, I, I can barely stand up here in the front and um, worship without tears pouring down my face. I kind of sometimes am grateful everyone's behind me because um, I'm just a hot mess with the tears coming down my face. And, and part of that is because... God spared my life, and I'm so very grateful for that. But um, even beyond that, you know, whether I continue to get better or not, or uh, whether I go through something else just as difficult or not, Jesus has already met my greatest need. I've spent so much time in this last year and nine months just really meditating on the undeserved grace that has been poured out on me, you know, really thinking about the fact that Jesus has saved my soul and what that means, and um, that just changes absolutely everything. It changes our perspective. It changes how we walk through suffering. I remember there was one day when I was in ICU, and I think that was the day before the elders came to pray for me, and um, I was struggling to stay conscious and so sick, and, and I look over toward my window, and I'm all alone at this point, and um, the um, ICU was on the first floor, and, and I can see this big, dark, shadowy figure outside my window, and it's going like this. And I look, and I'm like, what is that? <laughs> you know, here I am not knowing from one day to another what's going to happen to me, and, and outside my window is, is this guy who kind of looks like the Grim Reaper. And I kind of like scooched myself in the bed and, and turned my head to look under because the, the shade was only half drawn, and I, and I see just this big guy in a long coat shoveling snow because it's February, and um, I kind of laughed to myself for a second, and, um, and then a second later, I just began to, to cry um, in the bed, and um, not out of fear, but out of such deep gratitude, because even if I didn't die then, I know one day I'm going to die, but a grim reaper is never coming for me. You know, whether I live you know, another 40, 50 years or not. When I close my eyes in death, I am going to open them in the presence of Christ. And I think that suffering has a way of doing that for us, of, of kind of like just enabling us to see what we really have, what we look forward to. When I was, you know, at my worst, and I remember thinking about this story about my grandma who, uh, when she was um, dying of cancer, 
in a hospice bed, and every day we would go to see her, and we knew that it was going to be soon, and, and she knew that it was going to be soon. And she was this feisty little thing. I mean, she was like 80 pounds wet, this tiny little Italian grandma. And uh, when my family and I would walk in, every day she would say to my dad, is today the day, Vinny? Is today the day that I go to be with Jesus? And he would say, I don't know, Mom. He said, but it's going to be soon. Jesus is going to come for you soon. Jesus is the one who's going to come for you soon. And I think with everything that we've walked through, I now... I live in this place that I am so deeply grateful that I'm alive and I get to have my husband and my, and my children and my family and my church. And yet, looking more forward to eternity with Jesus than I ever have in my entire life. And that's what suffering does. It, it loosens our grip on the temporary for what is the eternal. And guys, life is hard. All of you in this room, I'm sure, have walked through something that's really painful. And I've just gone through the hardest time in my life, but Jesus has saved my soul. You know, There are days that I feel like I can't go on anymore, but I've been made a child of God, and here's what is so amazing, not because I've ever done anything to earn or deserve it, not because there's any good in me, but it's because of his great mercy. And I think this is how we flip why me moments. You know, when we're going through something hard, and I was like, why me? You know, why am I going through that? And, and I've had those moments. And especially when I've looked at, you know, people who maybe I saw on TV or heard about that were so blatantly anti-Christ, so blatantly, you know, against everything that is God. And I think, what, they're here and they're standing and they're fine and, and I'm not. And uh, God in his mercy just reminds me of the fact that, yeah, they're standing, but they don't know me. They don't have the hope of grace and eternity like you do. And then those why me moments change to why me? <laughs> why, why do I get to know you? You know, there's nothing special in me. It was all because of your grace that you poured out on me. Awesome. Uh, I think another thing, too, that sometimes we miss are the things that we can learn when we suffer and the things that we can learn when we go through hardship and we're not sure why God's allowing something. And so what are some of the things you've learned? I think that uh, one of the biggest things I've learned is um, not to take things for granted. You know, um, things that were mundane and ordinary um, are now precious to me. And I pray that that never goes away. You know, I remember the first time I was able to stand at the counter and uh, make lunch for my children and, and I stood there crying I cry a lot, especially after all this. I was just so very grateful that I could do that. And uh, I'll never take for granted uh, driving them somewhere, being at a game, or just being with them. And um, I'll never take for granted my husband. I can't express how he has loved me and cared for me through this entire time. And... Um, all while shepherding a church and moving a building. <laughs> Throw that in there too. And, um, and I promise you this, I'm not just saying this, I have never heard him complain. And I, I can't say enough about the way that he has loved me and cared for me through this whole thing, at times literally carrying me 
Um, those first few months from the hospital, this poor guy, if I had to go to the bathroom, I'd wake him up in the middle of the night to carry me to the bathroom. Like, I gotta go too, let's go. <laughs> Have a little party. Want a soda? It's really humbling. <laughs> um, but you know, like, it's so easy to, uh, to be short with your spouse, to uh, be impatient with the person that is closest to you, and, and I kind of think to myself, uh, how could I ever be impatient? How could I ever be short or unloving or unkind when he has cared for me so well? And um, all while shepherding a church and moving a building in between, it was like great timing for everything. And uh, I'll never take for granted this, being able to minister with my husband. I'll never take for granted deeper. Um, to the, the women in this church, I cannot tell you how much I love you and how my heart has ached to get back to that place that I could stand up and open up God's word with you and uh, I'll never take that for granted. There's a lot of things uh, I'll never take for granted. Uh, And I think I've learned what the body of Christ is supposed to look like, what he intended it to look like. Um, You as a church have been so amazing to us Um, You've come alongside of us, and you have helped carry us through the hardest and darkest time in our life. You guys have met our needs. You guys have encouraged us week in and week out. And even beyond this church, just the churches on Long Island that we've seen come together and be there for us and pray for us and and root us on and, and stand in the gap for us, and, um, and that's what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. We're not in competition with one another. You know, we're not supposed to be at odds with one another. We're supposed to be carrying each other and rooting for each other and being one and unified with each other, and I pray that our church will always look like that, that we will always be the body of Christ to those who are inside the church and who are suffering and to those who are outside the church as well. Yeah, we want to thank you guys so much. You guys have been so good to us, so good to our family, so good to our kids, and we just so appreciate you guys. Um, There's people in the room going through hardship, going through really difficult things. So what would you say to somebody who is stuck in a hopeless situation? I think the first thing that I would say is that there is no hopeless situation in the hands of our mighty God, that he is able And it doesn't matter what doctors say. It doesn't matter how low you feel or how deep of a pit you are in. He is not limited by any of those things. And so don't stop going to him. And don't stop pleading with him in prayer and asking him and seeking and knocking that he intervene. You know, I don't care how long it's been, how long you've been praying, and how long it seems like God has been silent. In a second, he can turn things around. So don't stop going to him. And the next thing I would say is that that faith is more than believing God for a miracle. It is trusting him through the trial. You know, I think so often we think that the enemy loses when we are on the other side of the trial. You know, when everything is okay again and, and that trial is over, but, but that's not true. The enemy is defeated when you and I are able to see Jesus for who he is in the midst of the trial. And the enemy is defeated when you and I see God as good and God as worthy of our praise in the midst of the trial. And he's defeated when you and I cling to the promises of God when we say, I don't understand and this hurts, but I'm going to trust you because you're a faithful God. That's when the enemy is defeated. So trust him. Um, 
through this process, I had my moments of anger toward God, of frustration, punched my steering wheel a few times when I was driving from here to there, and I definitely had my moments. And I think one of the questions we ask is why, and why is God allowing this? Why is God doing this to our family? Why is God allowing this to our, happen to our kids, to our church? And so um, do you have all the answers as to why God allowed this? No, I definitely don't have all the answers. And, um, you know, I think that there are different hard things that we're going to go through in life that we kind of look back and go, yeah, God, I see what you were doing here. It's so clear, you know, what you were doing. But I think that there are going to be times that we look back and and we go, I I don't know what you're doing here. And um, that's the times that we have to choose to trust. And we say, I will trust you. And I think that the only way that you and I can do that is when we really, truly believe and have a firm understanding that our lives are in his sovereign hands. I love Psalm 139, verse 16. It says, all your days were ordained for me before one of them came to be. And that tells me that God was not thrown off when this happened to me. You know, not that he didn't see it coming. My life is in his hands. No less now than it was before. Um, For Christmas, Doug got me a plaque that says, in Christ alone, for over our mantle. And that, that is my song. Um, before any of this happened, that is my song that, that I listen to, that I constantly say the lyrics to, because it is such a great encouragement. And, and um, the, the, my favorite part of the song is, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, it's Jesus who commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man will ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. I think that I would have despaired if I thought that for one minute the enemy got the upper hand and God couldn't stop this attack from happening. You know, I would have despaired if that if I believed for, for one second that it was possible for my life to slip through his sovereign grip. And then we kind of wrestle with, well, then was the enemy attacking you? Like, what was, what was going on here? And, and I think that when we look at the life of Joseph, and we look at all the ups and downs, and all the suffering, and all the things that he went through, and then we look at the end of the, his life, and, and he says, what the enemy meant for evil, God has purposed, God has ordained, God has designed for my good, and you and I can say the same thing, You know, I'm going through this trial, and what the enemy meant for evil, God has purpose ordained and planned for my good. And and you know what? Maybe I won't see in this life all all the reasons why this happened, and that's okay, because I think I've already seen enough to cause me to trust him. Um, Somebody said to me, Uh, all your mom, all your kids have known is um, a sick mom. Um, And that was pretty painful. And uh, first of all, it's not true. Uh, Because my kids have known a mom who's ran with them, played with them, and and has been a normal mom. But I have had a lot of ups and downs in my health since they were born. Um, But if having had those ups and downs has meant that my kids have gotten to not just hear from our mouths, but experience at their young age that God is good in the midst of suffering, that he carries you in the midst of suffering, then every single moment is worth it. 
You know, if one day, you know, when our kids are grown and they're not in our home anymore and, and they go through hard times and they will because that's what life is like here and now, maybe they won't be knocked off their feet and abandon their faith because they've seen what it's like to go through suffering. It would all be worth it. Uh, one of the verses that I love in Scripture is Psalm 40, verse 2. It says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And that verse can be applied to so many areas of our lives. It certainly applies to our spiritual condition, how God lifts our, us out of that slimy pit and, and rescues our soul and saves us eternally. But I think all of us can look at our lives and see all the times God has done this for us on a practical level, be it help us through a horrible time in our life, help us through depression, help us through an addiction, help us through an incredible sin struggle, help us through a brokenness in our soul due to relationship, help us through a time of suffering or sickness. And I'm just so grateful that this is the God that we're talking about today. Not a distant God, not a God who's far, not a God who forgot about us, not a God who abandoned us, not a God who set a bunch of stuff up and then walked away, but a God who's consistently reaching out. How can I pull you out of a slimy pit right now? How can I help you? The last time you spoke, Kelly, was January 2017. You gave an awesome message called When Darkness Falls. And uh, we still get emails about that message. Different people will just email us from time to time and say, Kelly, thank you so much for speaking that message. Thank you so much because my soul, I need that. I go back to it when I'm in a dark place. And, and in that message, you talked about when everything falls apart and when life becomes really dark. And that's amazing that that was the last message you spoke and then went into this season. And so how would you say that that has helped you keep your faith intact? And what things did you learn to keep your faith intact? Yeah, uh, I would say that God was so merciful to me in allowing me to prepare that message, not knowing what was just around the corner. Um, I actually remember even standing up to give that message and, and, and knowing something was definitely wrong in my body and, and feeling sick, but I had spent weeks preparing for that message, and that was God's mercy because he knew what was coming even though I didn't, and uh, gave me a firm foundation to fall back on over this next year and nine months. And, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've prayed, God, heal my body. I mean, I, I wake up at night praying, God, heal my body. God, heal my body. And uh, the, the prayer, though, that I've prayed probably um, second as much to that one is keep my heart soft. And I just find myself praying that throughout the day. Keep my heart soft. Keep my heart soft to you. You know, I had a couple of really difficult days this week after the best month that I've had. And, and you can almost kind of like feel that like discouragement creeping back in and and just right away, keep my heart soft. God, keep my heart soft towards you. And, and as I was doing that, I just came to this understanding, this realization that, that that's actually the more important prayer than to heal my body is keep my heart soft. Because what does it even matter if my body is healed but my faith grows cold? You know, what does it matter if my body's healed but I, I abandon my faith? And so um, I think it's so important that, that we be praying that. Um, I've heard of so many Christians that are really suffering in this last year. Um, people that are close to us, people that we see from a distance. And I followed this blog of this pastor, this, this young, dynamic, gospel-centered pastor that when he preached, you just felt Jesus. And he was diagnosed with colon cancer. And as I was reading his blog and listening to the things that he was saying, he just so firmly held on to God's sovereignty and God's grace and his love. And, and he lost his battle with colon cancer and he passed away. And I think a lot of people look at that and go, what a tragedy. 
You know, here's this mouthpiece for God, and, and, he, and he dies at such a, such a young age. But this man died with praising God with his very last breath. And he died with his faith intact. And so I would say that the tragedy is more if his faith would have failed, if, if he would have stopped trusting God and stopped believing in God. I have this really precious friend uh, who's been sick for 17 years with a chronic illness. And this friend has never once wavered in her faith. She's never stopped praying that God would heal her, but she's also never stopped trusting in the God that has her. And that's what strong faith looks like. So pray that you would have your heart kept soft as you walk through difficult times. And the other thing that I think is so important is that you every day gaze at Jesus, that, that you look at him, that you look at how great he is, that I don't know what's happening tomorrow, but I know that he's unchanging. And I've spent so much time thinking about his grace over this last year and nine months, but I've spent so much time too just wanting to listen to messages about him, you know, wanting to sing songs about him, wanting to read the word about him. I had um, several doctors say to me, um, if you have your health, you have everything. And Doug always gets a little nervous when they say that. And I said, to, I could just, see, I know him so well, and I see he starts to kind of, yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Knock my mic out. This is, this is him when he's getting nervous. And, um, <laughs> and I asked him, I said, it's true. <laughs> I said, I said, are you worried that, <laughs> I said, are you worried that I'm, I'm going to go back at them? Like, you seem so nervous. He's like, I'm not worried you're going to go back at them. He's like, I'm worried you're going to smack them. And, uh, and, and he's right, because one, they're saying this to somebody who at that time doesn't have their health. So in essence, they're telling me you have nothing. But two, because they couldn't be more wrong. Because the truth is that it's if we have Christ, we have everything. You know, we could have nothing, but if we have him, we have everything. I'm so grateful for his blessings, but if I had none of it and I had him, I would have everything because he's my treasure. So gaze at Christ. We have people in the room who are suffering. We also have people in the room who are walking with people who are suffering. And some of you guys are here and you are somebody's support. You are walking through a, a really tough time with somebody who's addicted to something. You're walking through a really tough time with somebody who's sick or his heart, their heart's been broken, walking through a time with somebody who's depressed. And so how would you encourage someone who's suffering? Are there things to say? Are there things not to say? I would say the first thing that we do is what the word of God says and we weep with those who weep. And um, so we come alongside of them. And and sometimes that means not saying anything. It's just weeping with them and, and crying and holding them. And, and um, we encourage them with deep biblical truth about God's faithfulness. We meet their needs like you have for us, you know, meet their practical needs. And, and this is so important. We don't shame or condemn them for suffering. You know, I, I uh, think about Job and, and his friends. And I think that Job's friends genuinely love Job. And they came to him at, at his lowest point, and they added to his suffering because of the things that they said. You know, I think that where they went wrong is they tried to make sense of his suffering in their own fi in, uh, finite human minds. And by doing so, they laid condemnation 
on top of him and doing so piled more pain on top of an already hurting person. You know, sometimes I, I try to imagine what would it have been like for Job if when his friends came to him, they, they looked at him and said, look, we don't know why you are suffering, but this is what we know, that you can trust a faithful God who is never going to leave you and is never going to forsake you. Like I've said, you as a church have been amazing to us, but we've received emails and messages and, um, from other Christians. Um, in the first service, I said Christians, and Cade said to me after, maybe you should say Christians. <laughs> so I say, so Christians who have attacked our faith. Um, they've attacked our, uh, the way that we pray, you know, accusing us of maybe not praying right, attacked our lives, that, that maybe there's something in our lives and, and that's why I'm suffering. And, um, you know, Job said to um, his friends, he called them miserable comforters. Um, and so when these people write us that, I just write back and I say, you miserable comforters. <laughs> No, actually, we, we, don't, we, we don't even respond. We let God be our defender, and, and that's the times that I take out the cards and the letters and the texts from you guys, and I read and reread them. But I think this is why so many Christians are, are afraid to be true and real with the way that they're suffering. It's because those Christians, and there's just a small amount of them, but they're there, who will draw a line between your faith being weak and the fact that you're suffering. And they'll draw a line between something, some failure in your life and what you're going through now. And, and I, I want to say to these people, I want to say, have you, have you read the Bible? You know, have you read about people like Job and Joseph and Paul and countless others who suffered because of their obedience, not because of their disobedience? And I want to say to them, you know, have you read in the word of God how many times it talks about the refining of our faith through suffering. And then I want to grab them by the shoulders and I want to shake them and I want to say, have you forgotten the cross when you put that kind of weight and guilt on another believer? Have you forgotten that none of us deserve everything, anything at all and we've all been given grace? Have you forgotten that Jesus has taken the record of our wrong and has nailed it to the cross never to hold it over us again? I heard a pastor say in a message that um, he heard about this Christian family that went through a really difficult time, and he said his first thought was, man, I wonder what they did wrong. And that thought is so destructive, and it's so anti what the gospel is. And so if you're that person that's suffering, have a firm grip of who you are in Christ. Have a firm grip about what it means that Jesus has taken the record of your wrong and nailed it to the cross. Any last thoughts for those who are facing a trial right now? I would say uh, don't stop trusting and don't stop running to him and clinging to him. You know, I think that so often the temptation is to turn our back on God when we're hurting and it's to begin to doubt that he loves us, is begin to doubt that he cares. And when we do that, we make a difficult situation unbearable. And so don't stop running to him, run to him, trust him, even when life doesn't make sense at all. And um, you know, this is what I know that you and I will never get to heaven and we're never gonna say to Jesus, um, I just really regret trusting you as much as I did through that trial. None of us are gonna say that. He, he sees what we can't see. 
If anything, we're going to get there. We're going to say, I wish I had trusted you more. I wish that I had just rested in the fact that you have my life more. The next thing and last thing I would say to you is that, and this is really important, that with everything that you have, with the Holy Spirit that is in you, his help, you have to fight and reject every thought that would cause you to doubt the love of God. When we walk through stuff like that, that temptation is going to be there. You're going to question, am I really a child of God? You're going to question, does he really love me? And we should not give that thought even a second in our mind. As soon as it comes in, we need to, by the grace of God, reject that. Now, Jesus did not shed his blood for you to abandon you now. He loves you. The cross is the proof of that. None of your circumstances are. At a, um, a really difficult time, physically and emotionally for me, um, I, I sat down and, and I wrote this in my phone to encourage myself, and I read it, and I reread it all the time, and I just thought that, that I would share it with you, and, and it's this. It says, I know the God who heals, but I also know the God who sustains. I know the God who carries. I know the God who encourages, the God who comforts. I know the God who gives peace when peace doesn't make sense. And none of these things are less of a demonstration of God's mighty power, and each are a demonstration of his great love for me. He's faithful in the midst of suffering. I know that now more than ever. And you can trust him. I've been singing this song in my head over the last week, and I don't even know who wrote it, but I heard it, and, and I can't stop singing it. And it's, uh, there wasn't a day that you weren't by my side. There wasn't a day that you let me fall, and that's what I cling to. And then he ends the, the song by singing, there won't be a day that you're not by my side. There won't be a day that you let me fall, and that is the promise of God to you and I. He can be trusted in suffering, so I just I plead with you to, to keep your eyes on him, to trust him, to ask him to keep your heart soft when you don't understand what's happening, and, and keep going to him and looking to him. Again, just from our family, just want to thank you guys for being there for us in such an amazing way through this terrible season. And yet tonight, I hope you've seen all that God has done and all that he's doing and the ways that he's using this and that it's not wasted. And we'll thank Kelly for, you know, just living the life you've lived through this. It's been incredible. And, you know, something amazing has been happening all day long at all of our services. People have been putting their trust in Jesus all day long. Tons of people just responding, saying, yes, I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to look to him to be my Savior. And, and we're just talking this afternoon that if, if that's the result, if, if all of this year and nine months is so that today a bunch of people can put their trust in Jesus, then it's worth it. And so tonight I want to give you the opportunity to do that as well. If you're a follower of Jesus, let me pray with you first. And then if, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to begin a conversation with him, then I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that as well. So let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you are our hope and you are our strength and you are the one who carries us through our pain and that you endured pain for us. You endured the cross for us. That your nickname in the scripture was the suffering servant and you know what it's like. 
And so we thank you, God, that when we're in our worst place, you can relate to us, and you're not far from us, and we can look to you and cling to you. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, how are you suffering, or how is someone that you love suffering? And would you, yes, pray for healing? And would you pray for strength to get through the addiction? Would you pray for provision? And would you pray that your heart be put back together? And would you pray that depression would end? Would you pray for all that? But would you also pray that other prayer? God, keep my heart soft. Keep my heart soft before you. God, I've been angry at you. My heart's been hard. And God, I, I need it by your spirit, Lord, to be softened again so that I can respond to you in love. I can respond to you from a good place and not a place of anger or hate. And so, God, would you soften hearts in this room tonight? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him, I would just begin a prayer like this. Just just quietly say, Jesus, thank you so much for coming for me. Thank you for hanging on a cross in my place so that my sin would be removed and you wouldn't count my wrongs against me anymore. Thank you for loving me so much. Thank you that you will never abandon me. Thank you that you will never forsake me. Thank you that you will carry me to the end. Show me how real you are, God, and show me what it means to follow you. Before we open our eyes, if you prayed that prayer for the first time tonight, would you just, you don't have to do this, but so I can be praying for you this week, and so we can celebrate together some of what God's doing, would you just look me in the eyes if you prayed that for the first time tonight? Anybody do that here tonight? Awesome. Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else in this place tonight? Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Anybody else? Amazing. Amazing. God, I thank you for all the people in this room tonight that just put their trust in you, that began a conversation. And God, I pray for them, God, that they'll know you, that they'll be close to you, and that you will reveal to them more and more of who you are and what it means to follow you. God, we give you praise. You're an awesome God. There's no one else.